jumping into the word today. Come on, look to your neighbor and say, knowing he cares. Knowing he cares. That's the title of today's message, knowing he cares. To know something and knowing something are two different things. I, I know about some things, but there are some things that I be knowing about, right? So when you put knowing into practice, that's when you take the knowledge that you have and you actually live it out. We're talking today that knowing that he cares God cares for you. He cares about what's going on in you. He cares about what's going on you, you know, through you. He cares about your situation, that he actually cares for you. I was reading the other day about this guy that went to a, a, a psychiatrist. He, he was going to, to a psychologist, and, and he was going, and he was, he was asking him these questions about this problem he had been dealing with for a long time. And he's sitting there with the psychologist, and he's telling him, hey, man, I've had this issue ever since I was a young boy. Ever since I was, I, was, I was a kid, I've had this issue, and now that I'm an adult, I still, I, I still deal with it. I still have this issue. And so the co- psychologist looking at him perplexed and says, well, well, what is this issue that you are dealing with? He says, every night when I go to bed, I am overwhelmed by severe anxiety that something's under my bed and that something's going to get me. And I would imagine this is probably a Hispanic guy because Hispanic families will tell you that the kukui is going to get you if you don't eat your vegetables, that the boogeyman is going to eat you if you don't say your prayer, like all of these things, right? And so we're traumatized as children, little Hispanic kids that look, man, you better do that or else you're going to get eaten by the kukui, right? You're like the boogeyman is going to eat you. And so I'd imagine this, this dude is probably a Hispanic guy. And he's telling, he's telling the psychologist, like, hey, bro, look, man, I can't go to bed. Every night when I lay down on my bed, I'm overwhelmed by anxiety that whatever's underneath my bed, el cocuy, boogeyman, whatever it may be, is going to eat me, get me, and take me. And he says, hmm, he looked at him for me. He says, hmm, he says, I bet we can fix that. And he says, you come see me three times a week, and we'll have your problem solved. And the guy looked at him and said, okay, great. Well, how much is each one of these times going to cost me? And the guy says, my standard fee is $80. So the guy says, man, that's a, that's, a, that's a lot of money, three times a week, 80 bucks. He says, you know what, I'm going to go home and I'm going to sleep on it. He goes home, and, he, and, and the doctor doesn't see him for a couple of months. And finally, the doctor runs into him at the grocery store, and he says, hey, sir, how have you been? He says, I've been, I've been great. I've been awesome. I've been amazing. He says, well, well, tell me what happened. He says, I've been cured from believing that whatever was under my bed was going to eat me. I've been cured for that. He says, how in the world were you able to do that? He said, well, after I left your office, I began to do the math. I began, I began to factor in that, that $80 a, a, a session three times a week, that adds up pretty quick. He said, I began to tell my neighbor about what was going on. And he said, my neighbor was like, man, that's kind of expensive for, for what's going on. He said, I know, but, but I can't get any sleep. He said, so, so I decided I was going to take my, my money that I would save from going and seeing you. And I went and bought myself a brand new truck. Look, you see it outside. Fancy truck. Nice truck. And the guy said, but how in the world were you able to get cured? He said, well, I went and I talked to my neighbor. My neighbor said, you know what, bro, I got you. He showed up with a jigsaw, and he chopped off all the legs of my bed, and now nothing can be underneath my bed. <laughs> come on, sometimes we need a good friend who will come with us and say, hey, bro, look, what you're believing in is nonsense, man. What you doing? We need someone to come into our, to our lives sometime and remove the space that sometimes can harbor that anxiety that each and every one of us have, right? I mean, we have these things. Anxiety is a real thing that each and every one of us can begin to deal with. But I'm here to tell you this morning that you better be knowing that he cares for you. This is what it says right here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
we read it one more time. Coming out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it reads like this. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When you break that down, and we just kind of look at it in the English, which each one of these words mean. I'm huge on knowing what words mean because once you know what words mean, you understand the weight that each one of those words begin to carry. And as we begin to break this down just into English and what the English words mean for this very thing right here, you take that word cast, and that, that first word, and then the definition of cast is this right here, an act of throwing something forcefully. An act of throwing something forcefully. So he's saying here, hey, you have to come in here and you actually have to throw that thing off of you. You actually have to let that thing go. You got to begin to come in and say, okay, great. I have to cast that thing. There's an action that comes from me understanding and gaining this promise. That if I will cast my anxiety on him because he cares for me. So if I do that, then I know that he will take that because he cares for me. So I have to come in here and I have to begin to let that thing go. There's an action that has to take place in order for him to take that care from me, that anxiety from me. And anxiety is defined as this right here, fear or nervousness about what might happen. Fear or nervousness about what might happen. Each and every one of us can sometimes be bound by the fear of what might happen. We don't know. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And that right there, that fear sometimes can paralyze us from moving forward. That fear sometimes can paralyze us, can freeze us in a space, can wrap us all up in our heads so that all we're thinking about and all we're mulling over is that thing. And that anxiety and that thing and the what ifs and the my coulds and all of these things begin to play themselves out in their head. And instead of actually living in reality, you're having these invisible conversations that will never happen with anybody else, but you're having them in the shower. And when they say this, I'm going to say that. And when she does this, I'm going to do that, right? And we have these conversations with ourselves in the shower while we're driving. And these are the anxiety things that seem to plague us, the what coulds, the might ifs, all of these different things that could happen. He says, give me all of those things because he cares for you. And care is defined as this right here. Care is the feel or concern or special interest attached to something, the importance of something. So what happens is, is when we begin to come in and we begin to forcefully throw those things off of us, when we begin to give God all of our anxiety, when we begin to hand that over, when I begin to come in and say, hey, look, Lord, I'm going to give you the uneasiness that I feel about what might happen. Lord, I'm going to give you the uneasiness that I feel, the fear that I have of this thing that's standing before me. Lord, when I cast that off and I give that to you, you assign a special attention to it. You don't just ignore it. You don't just come in there and say, hey, baby, it's, gonna be, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. No, sir, you bring some concern to it. You, you assign a little bit of special interest to that thing. And then you begin to work on that thing. You don't just begin to say, okay, great, this is going on the back burner. Because why? Because he cares for you. He assigns a special interest to that thing. He, he, he says, hey, man, this is important. I'm marking this thing on. I'm marking this thing as important. See, what concerns us concerns him. We are not involved with a God who's far off. We're not involved with a God who is disengaged. We're involved with a God who desperately desires to be in real relationship with you. That's the kind of God that we serve. And when we do these things, when we say, Lord, I've got this. Lord, watch me. Look at me. Lord, I'm going I'm to impress you by how well I handle this. Oh, you're going to be so impressed. 
He says, hey, bro, look, man, all you're going to do is wrap yourself up more in your head about all this stuff. He says, how about you cast all the anxiety on me because I care for you, man. I really, really do care for you. What happens is, is we begin to amass all of these things. We begin to gather all of this stuff, all the anxiety, all the fear, all the uneasiness. We begin to amass all of these things until one day it's too heavy for us to move. Until you say, man, look, I can't even get out of bed right now because of this situation. Lord, I'm so lost in, my, in despair that I can't even begin to find where you're at. Lord, I'm, so, I'm just so lost in this situation, Lord. Where are you? He said, hey, Bubba, look, I'm telling you to cast all of your anxiety on me, man. I care for you. What happens is we don't realize sometimes that as we gather all of that stuff, it begins to slow us down. You begin to carry all of that extra baggage, and it begins to slow you down. Man, I've shared this story before, but it's my story, and I'm going to share it again. When I, was, when I was younger, I was about 10 years old. My, my sister was seven. My dad, hey, man, he said, hey, if you guys help clean up around the house, I'll take you fishing this afternoon. If you know one thing about me, man, I love my family, I love Jesus, and I love hunting and fishing, right? I, I love those things so much. And so my dad said, hey, I'll take you fishing. I said, Bubba, we got it. And see, so me and my sister, we cleaned up, we did the best we could until that evening. He said, all right, let's load up and let's go. We loaded up in the truck. We headed out to Lloyd Park over there off of Joe Pool Lake. And he said, I'm going to take you to a special fishing spot that I've heard about. And whenever you hear somebody say special fishing spot, you just know it's going to be good, right? You're just like, you're just expecting it to be great. Like, like for whatever reason, like fish are jumping. And it's Texas in the summer, so it's like a billion degrees outside. But you don't think it's going to be that hot. You know what I'm saying? He's like, no, nah, it's not going to be that bad. And so we get there. We start unloading out of the truck. And, and I was like, Dad, where are we going to go? He says, hey, we've got to cross this bridge, and we're going to go fish on the other side over there. I said, all right, Dad. So we loaded everything up, and, and so I, I'm carrying a bunch of stuff. He's got a bunch of stuff because if my dad goes fishing, he's going fishing, right? Everything we got, all the stuff that he asked him, Mom, can we buy this, can we buy that? All the special gear that you buy, it has to be used. So it's got to be taken out, right? Because you will never be able to buy another thing if the wife sees you leave without taking the special thing you just bought, right? And so it's like, why am I going to buy you another one? You don't even take the one you got. It's like, so you got to take it. Even if you don't use it, it's got to be in the truck. And so we loaded up with everything that we had, and we take off crossing this bridge. And so we're on this bridge, and we're going to go fish on the other side, right? And so, so we're on this bridge, and I'm walking, and we got, we're loaded down. And it's probably uh, maybe a 200-yard bridge, whatever, right? And so we're walking across this thing. And all of a sudden, as I'm walking across it, I notice something on the bridge. There's a pattern happening here. There's a, there's a, 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 a long, straight metal bar and a bunch of these straight bars going across. And I'm jumping from bar to bar to bar to bar, and I'm like, Dad, is this a train track? He's like, yeah, it's a train track. I was like, well, do trains use it? He's like, nah, it's not used by trains anymore, right? And this is the moment trust issues entered my life, right? And so, and so we, we, begin, we begin to go down, down walking this bridge, right? And, and about that time, we're at the spot where we're halfway in the bridge. It's just something, you know, you, you, you feel it in the spirit sometimes, right? You're just like, something's not right. You know, it's like, well, what's going on here? All of a sudden, the bridge began to shake. And I was like, nah, man. I was like, Dad, you said they don't use this train track anymore. He's like, no, 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 it's not used. Just walk faster. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, just, just keep going. Just, just, we ain't talking. Just keep going. So we're walking a little bit faster, right? And we're going. And all of a sudden, I turn around. The bridge is now shaking at a pretty good clip. There's no ignoring that there is a massive train coming down the bridge. And when you look at this bridge, we're in the middle of the bridge. I mean, there's no options here. You got options of water, right? Or you got options of water, right? And so he's like, all right, man. And the option is equal on both sides. It's about a 35-foot drop to the bottom. So you're like, Lord, what are we going to do? 
And so we're looking at this thing, and my dad said, just keep walking, go faster, go faster. So we're doing our best to go faster, right? And, and what happens is when you're a kid, you just begin to do that, <laughs> right? Because you're scared. And then he asks you, are you crying? <laughs> no, right? He's like, you better not cry, right? And so we're walking across this bridge, and this train is making a good clip on us. I mean, it is coming, and it's honking the horn. I mean, it's, it's on its way. Imminent death is about to happen, right? I'm reflecting back on my life, and all I can see is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers, and I'm like, I haven't lived. You know, it's like, I need more. And so, and so my dad looks at us. He says, hey, if this thing comes, you jump off, Jonathan. You jump off. Dump all the stuff, and you jump off into the water because you can swim. And I was like, okay, Dad, right? And so, and so I'm looking down, and I'm like, Lord. He looks at my sister. He says, Jeanette, you're with me. I'm going to hold you on the other side of this rail, and the train's going to pass between me and you. And Jonathan, if she falls, you grab her. And I was like, <gasps> right? So I'm 10 years old, man. I'm having this life and death conversation with my dad. And he looks at me and says, I love you both. And I was like, dude, this is like it. This is about to happen. It's like, Dad, I love you, right? And this is like, this is the moment. And so we're going, and we're just doing our best to keep going forward. We just keep going. He's like, just, just keep going. Just go. And we're saying, I love you. I love you so much, right? And so we're, this is the moment. This is it. And so we're screaming. We're crying. And all of a sudden, from the other side, we're about three-quarters of the way there now. The train has now entered the bridge that we are on. It was on land before, but now it's on the bridge. This, this is about to happen. There's a family fishing up on the other side of where we were going to go fish that hear us screaming and crying that come back, and they come and they grab us. And in that moment when they do that, every bit of the baggage I had was thrown off onto them. In the moment that I unloaded every bit of my baggage, the moment that my sister was able to unload every bit of her baggage, the moment my dad was able to have someone step in and to begin to help, we began to move faster. We were able to beat that train on the other side. See, sometimes our baggage slows us down from what God is doing, and he wants to do something great in your life, and he wants to do something amazing for you. But we've amassed all of this baggage from the what ifs and the what could be, and we forget the simple fact that he cares for you. And the moment that we cast all of that off onto them, we were able to make it to the other side. And we're sitting there on our knees and we're crying as a family. I love you. And my dad said, all right, son, you ready to fish? And I was like, no, I'm not ready to fish. I almost died. I don't want to fish no more. I want to go see mom, right? It's because mom would never put me in a situation like that. Mom would never do that. And she said, all right, well, you don't want to fish? And I was like, no, no. I don't want to fish. I don't even want to be with you, right? He's like, no. I want to be with that family, right? He's like, can I be a part of your family, sir? Just get away, man. And so he said, all right. After about three minutes of us st- standing in there, sitting there, he said, all right, y'all ready to go? He's like, yeah, Dad, we don't want to be here no more. He said, all right, well, well let's get going. He said, all right, well, how are we going to get back? He's like, well, we got to walk across the bridge to get back. <laughs> I was like, no, man, we're not walking across the bridge. That was a long walk home, man. He was like, <laughs> You're just terrified of the, of, of the trains coming. like, Dad, you said. And that was a whole conversation on the way home. You said no trains were coming, right? And I was like, no, man. But we see this special care that's attached to our anxiety that Jesus has. When we begin to cast that off onto him, he assigns special interest to that. In John chapter 9, that's where we're going to be hanging out today. In John chapter 9. At the beginning of John chapter 9, we see Jesus is in uh, the area of Judea, and he's there for the Feast of Tabernacles. And he's with the disciples, and and they're there in that area for the Feast of Tabernacles. And in John chapter 9, at the beginning of it, they encounter this blind man, Jesus, and the disciples. 
And they begin to have discussion about this blind man. And they're talking about him. And, and as they're talking about him, the disciples ask Jesus this question. They say, Jesus, whose sin is this? His parents' sin or his own sin? And Jesus begins to talk this thing out. The Jews believed that if you were born with some kind of ailment, then it was because of either sin in your parents' life or sin in your own life. And Jesus begins to tell them, hey, bro, no, it's not about any of that. The disciples in this moment had turned this blind man into a topic of discussion, but Jesus was about to flip the script and turn this man into an object of compassion. And as they begin to talk about this man, as they begin to talk about this guy and his sin or that sin or, or what's going on with him, Jesus, I would imagine in this moment, as he's talking back and forth with these people, has probably understood and connected with this man on a deep level. He just understood this man. This man is, is theologians uh, guess that he's about 30 years old to where he's at. He's been blind for a long time. I'd imagine this guy had thought, this is all it's ever going to be. This is it. This is my lot in life. I'm a blind beggar. And this moment is probably one of his hottest times to begin to gather money as people are in town for the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus and the disciples, they're, they're, they're conversing and they're talking. And Jesus ends with this as he's talking with him. He says, so that the works of the Lord may be displayed in him. They ask him, why, why is he like this, his sin or his parents' sin? He says, neither. It's neither one of those things. It says, so that the works of the, Lord's may, the Lord may be displayed in him. He says, hey, man, let me tell you something. This is a miracle waiting to happen. That's what this is, boys. Man, this is not some kind of this or that. This is not an object of a theological debate. Let me tell you something. What's about to happen here is so that the works of the Lord may be displayed in him. Because what happens is when we have the work of the Lord displayed in us, man, we cannot help but to tell other people about how our God cares for us. How we serve a good father who gives good gifts. We know these things. And we know sometimes that our trials and tribulations, according to James uh, chapter 1, produce maturity in us and sometimes we get into these things and it's because of that the Lord saying hey man I'm growing something in you but sometimes I believe in our lives maybe just maybe the things in our lives are setting God up to do something big in you and so when he does something big in you you can't help but keep your mouth shut to what God has done for you and what he's doing in you and how we serve a God who's actively engaged in where we're at and that he absolutely cares about us and after Jesus says this Jesus says not a word to this blind man. And we're going to pick it up right here in John chapter 9, verse 6. And it reads like this. It says, when he had said this, he spit on the ground and made mud from the saliva and applied it to his eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He, so he left, washed, and he came back seeing. So let's put ourselves in this situation into what's going on. The blind man is sitting there. He is blind and not deaf. He's standing there. He can probably hear the disciples having a discussion about him. This man right here. This man. They didn't say his name. They didn't say his ailment. But I guarantee you that blind dude knew exactly who they were talking about. And all of a sudden, the voices get a little bit closer to you as you're sitting there on the ground with your cup out there trying to get a little bit of extra money. And all of a sudden, you feel hot breath on your face. And all of a sudden, you hear someone start spitting. Sir, what are you doing? Sir, what are you doing? Hold tight. Sir, what are you doing? And you're reaching out trying to find out what's going on. And all of a sudden, you feel this maybe warm, 
maybe cold, I don't know, just stuff on your eyes. <laughs> What'd you put on me? Right? It's like, what's going on? Jesus doesn't ask this man, do you want to be healed? Jesus doesn't converse with this man. I'd imagine if they did have conversation, it was very personal. Similar to what happened with the lady that they brought him, the adulterer lady. When Jesus bent down, he began to write in the sand. Whatever was happening right there was obviously very personal. Every person that was there left that stone and walked away. Whatever happened between Jesus and this man was very, very personal. I'd imagine that this guy woke up every day praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lord, change this in me. God, I want to see one day. God, is this all it is for me? He had no idea that on this day, a man by the name of Jesus, whom he had never met, was about to change his life forever. And why did Jesus do this? Because he cared about him. You say, well, he didn't even know him. But let me tell you something. Probably just a couple of months, maybe a year down the road, Jesus would hang on a cross for that man's sins. Jesus would go to the cross because he cared about him and he loved him. And the answer to that man's prayer was standing in front of his face, wiping saliva mud all up on his face. He goes down to this pool, and he washes in it. And this pool of Siloam was this, this place that was, they dammed up the river Gion, and they created this pool so that people could go in and they could draw water from it. I'd imagine people looked at this awkward guy feeling his way around the place with mud all up in his eyes and be like, hey, isn't that the dude? That's the guy. Poor dude got mud in his face. Man, poor guy. And he washes in that pool. And scripture says he came back seeing. He was able to see. We'll pick it up right here in verse 8. It says, so the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he, uh, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. He said, no, 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 no. The guy that, that couldn't see walked around like this. The guy that can't see walks around like this. Different. You see difference? Like this, like this. Right? There's a difference. Open, close. Close, open. Right? He's like, there's a difference. It's similar to that guy, but not different. The guy that we're talking about, he doesn't see. This guy sees. Very similar. Two eyes, nose, mouth. Yep, very similar. But the other guy, his eyes don't work. This guy does. And he begins to talk to him. He says this. His others were saying this. He says, they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? He told them, I'm the one. It's me, guys. It is me. He says, well, then how were your eyes open? He answered this. He says, the man who was called Jesus made mud. And he spread it on my eyes. And he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and I washed and I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he says, I don't know, right? Why? Because he was blind. <laughs> he was, I was blind. He put it on my face while I was still blind. I went down to the pool, then I could see. So where is he? I was blind. I do not know. I don't know where he went because I was blind. Remember, this guy and that guy, same person, two different sights, right? Man, we, we did not see what happened. And they go back, and the Pharisees begin to grab this guy. They begin to investigate. Because he was healed on the Sabbath. You do anything on the Sabbath. And they grab this guy and they begin to interrogate him. So tell us what happened. Tell us what happened. All right, man. So I was sitting there doing my thing, shaking my cup. Couldn't see a lick. All of a sudden felt hot breath on my face. <sighs> this man began to put mud in my eyes. I, where did he get the water from? I mean, I don't know. He made water. I was like, I don't know. I heard, maybe, I don't know what it was. But he put mud in my eyes. I went down to the pool and guess what? A whole new world. I could see. Oh my gosh, I can see. You are 
ugly. No, he didn't say that at all. But he said, I could see. I could see, man. He says, hold on, hold on, hold on. Tell us again how it happened. He's like, look, man, I already told you. I was sitting there, mud in the face, in the pool. Now I can see. No, man, that's not good enough. And they're interrogating this guy. This would be the most interesting, most interesting episode of Judge Judy. This guy right here. This would be the most interesting episode. Tell us again how it happened. I'm telling you, man, you put the mud on my face and I can see. They bring his parents in. They're like, hey, can you verify that this is your son? He's like, yeah, we can verify this is our son. Can you verify that he was blind? Yeah, yeah, this is news to me, son. <laughs> How you doing, man? Good to see you, right? And, uh, and so he's like, yeah, you can verify he was blind from birth. How long have you known him? His entire life, right? How long has he been blind? Since the moment I met him, right? It's like, he is blind. And they're, they're in this thing, and, and they begin to have this conversation. Like, well, can you testify for your son? He said, hey, look, he's of age. We're not getting wrapped up into this. Because if we get wrapped up into this, you're going to kick us out of the synagogue. He's of age. Let him handle himself. Finally, they bring him back again. They've interrogated him, probably taken all day for this thing to happen. And he comes back, and he answers them with this. And we'll pick it up in John chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. And it reads like this. It says, a second time they summoned him, the man who had been blind. We don't even know his name. But the man that who had been blind. He says, give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied with this right here. He says, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. He says, one thing I do know is that I was blind, but now I see. Man, I don't know how it happened, bro. Don't know how it happened. But I'll tell you this. A man by the name of Jesus cared enough about me, cared enough about me to stop and to assess my situation. A man by the name of Jesus stopped by. He took his time out of his day, what he was doing, and he knelt beside me, and he whispered in my ear, Son, I'm here. It's me. It is me. And he mixed this mud together, man, and he told me to go down to this pool, and I washed. Whether he's a sinner or not, man, I guarantee he's not, because everybody else that I had dealt with never, ever, ever saw anything else in me other than a blind beggar man. And this is the first time that someone saw something more in me than what I was labeled by, by my disability, by my problem, by my symptoms, whatever it may be, this man saw something greater in me, and now I see I was once blind. I don't know how it happened. I don't know all the details behind all I know is that once I was like this, and now I'm like this. I can see now. That's what happened. And a lot of times we'll get wrapped up in these things where people will try to force us to tell us, well, tell me how God did it for you. Well, tell me how God did it for you. And sometimes we can get gun shot by going after God because we're not sure of all the details, even ourselves. Am I doing it right? Is this happening? Is that happening? And all he says is this. I don't know the details behind it, bro. I don't know what happened, but I do know this, that this morning when I woke up, I was feeling around for my toothbrush. Now I go home, and I can see the way home. Now I go home, I know exactly where my toothbrush is. I can grab it. I can see. Sometimes, man, we'll get wrapped up in having to prove how God did it for us when the answer simply is, I don't know, he cared about me, man. I have no idea. He just did it. I was having a conversation with a guy a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about, about this thing, and he was like, hey, you're, you're a pastor, right? And I said, yeah. He said, uh, what do you think about healing? I said, it's fantastic. He said, what do you think about prophecy? That's great. What do you think about speaking in tongues? I do it every day. He said, hmm. He said, I don't believe in that. I said, either did I. I didn't believe in it either. 
I said, I grew up Baptist, man. We believe in cessation me. He says, uh, that's, that's where the gifts are gone. I said, absolutely. He said, so I don't believe in healing. And I said, well, that's okay. I do. I'll, I'll pray for you to be healed. And he struggled with an ailment for a while. He said, I don't believe in healing, man. Don't believe in that. I believe all that's gone, and it's all, it's all, it's all done away with. It was for the apostles to birth the early church, and, and now it's gone. I said, man, I used to believe that same thing, man. I grew up Baptist. absolutely loved the Baptist church. He taught me scripture, but I knew there was a little bit more to it than just what I was reading in scripture. I knew there had to be a little bit more life behind it. And we began to share just his, my, my testimony with him. He says, so you say you speak in tongues every day. And I said, absolutely. Heck yeah, I do, man. He said, well, tell me about how that happened. The preacher laid hands on you, pushed you over, did all this, that, and the other. I said, no, nah, I want that at all, man. I said, what happened to me is I got to spo- a, a point in my life where I was tired of living the way I was living. I felt like I had no power. I had no, no, no way of getting out of where I was. And so I just was on this journey for wanting more of God. I went to my friend's house, and, and, uh, and he, he was going to lay hands on me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as he did that, nothing happened. I looked at him and said, something's wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. You, lay, you. you prayed for me to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I didn't get it. Something's wrong with you. You're broken, right? And he's like, I'm not broken. You're broken. And so we left there that night. He burned me an illegally pirated worship CD, right? This is early 90s. Thank you, Napster, for helping me find the Holy Spirit, right? And so there's something good that came out of, of Internet piracy, and that's uh, my relationship with the Holy Spirit. But I went back home, and I would take that CD from my truck to my room to wherever I went. I would take that CD. And one day I was in my room, and I was telling him this whole story. So one day I was in my room by myself. And I was in this spot where I was, I was just cleaning my room. And I was just worshiping right where I was at, cleaning and doing, you know, whatever you do when you clean your room, right? Just doing that. And, uh, and I just began to just tell the Lord, thank you. It's like, Lord, thank you so much for, for where I'm at right now. Lord, thank you so much you didn't leave me where I was, but that you cared enough about me to, to keep messing with me and to, keep, and to keep coming after me and pursuing me and not giving up on me. Thank you so much for where, for where I'm at now. And I just began to tell him, I love you. God, I love you so much. But I felt like I had cheapened that word throughout my life. Right? I, I had given that word out, and it had been diluted to the spot where I was at now. And I was like, there's no way that this word, it doesn't mean enough. It doesn't mean enough to you, God. Like, I had cheapened that word. And I just began to just tell him how thankful I was. And if you never did another thing for me my entire life, that him dying on the cross was enough for me. And as I began to cry out to God like that, man, English ran out. And I just began to utter this, this prayer language. It just began to bubble out of me. I'm looking this man in the face, and I'm like, I don't know how it happened. No one laid hands on me, bro. There wasn't the lights and the sounds and the, and, the, and, the, and the music and the worship team. It was me by myself in a room. And I'll tell you this. I don't know how it all happened, but I was a guy that was out of control. And the Lord brought the Holy Spirit in my life and brought some self-control to me. I was blind. But now I see, bro, I don't know all the details behind it. I don't know how it all happened, but let me tell you something. He did it for me. He cares enough about you that he'll do it for you too, man. And so we get wrapped up sometimes in having to explain it all. It's, it's that simple. I don't know. But if he did it for me, I promise, me he'll, I promise you he'll do it for you also. There's three things I want you guys writing down this morning. How we can cast our cares on him. How we can begin to get, give those cares over to Jesus. The first one is this right here is to settle into his care. A lot of times we have we have trouble settling into his care. We have a lot we have trouble with settling and the doctor tells us, hey man, go home and take six pills of this. I'm gonna take three. I know my body. Right? It's like so we, we, we have trouble sometimes settling into his care. This is what it says right here in Matthew chapter eleven, verse twenty eight and thirty. It says, Come to me all you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Sometimes we come to Jesus and be like, all right, Jesus, I'm going to help you do. He's like, just come and help me. Just, just rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said, hey, man, come on, just settle into my care. Just, just settle into what's going on here. You don't have to do anything. Just come and just be. Let me begin to work on you. Let me begin, let me, let me begin to give you some of that rest that you've been missing out on. But a lot of times we want to come in, we want to help God. Lord, let me help you. Let me help you fix me. Look, this is the problem, right? It's like, I've been making it. This is the problem. He's like, hold on, son. Let me, let, just sit back, bro. I got it. Don't worry about it, man. Sometimes we have problem. We have trouble settling into his care and saying, all right, God, you just do it then. And the scripture says his burden is easy and his yoke is, or excuse me, his burden is light and his yoke is easy. And we see these things. And we say, all right, Lord, look. And we have a hard time with that rest. He says, hey, man, just settle into my care. Just go ahead. Come on, man. Begin to let those things go and just settle into my care. The second thing that we can see on how we can cast our cares onto him is you have to be in discussion with the Father. You got to be in discussion with the Father. You got to be talking to him. You got to be knowing the plan. You got to be knowing what's going on. Hey, Bubba, look, this is where we're going and this is what we're doing. And we get in those moments where we get restless and we're saying, Lord, look, this looks familiar. This feels familiar. Lord, I, I, I'm seeing it all over again. If we're not in discussion with him, we'll get all up in our head again. And that anxiety and the what ifs and the what could be's and all these things begin to play out. And he begins to whisper to you, hey, son, daughter, listen, I got you. I got you. There's something calming about the father's voice. This past week, I was able to take my kids to uh, this thing called Dude Perfect. They, they came on tour. We bought tickets last year. We had to wait a whole year to come see him because this, this little thing you may or may not have heard about it called COVID. And uh, it, was, it was this thing that happened last year. It's kind of happened a little bit this year too. But, uh, but they canceled the tour and they moved it to last week on Thursday. And my kids were so excited about it. I mean, they were like hyped about Dude Perfect, right? Like, like they're just like nuts about the Dude Perfect thing, right? And so they're telling me all about it. Like, do you know all their names? This, that, and the other. It's like, look, kids, I don't know. But I'm going because I love you. And at the end of it all, we're, we're leaving, and, and it's great. It was really cool, man. They, they preached the gospel at the end of it. Awesome thing, man. Wholesome content. Man, if you want to watch, give your kids something to watch on YouTube, watch that. But, uh, but it, was, it was great. And as we're leaving, I mean, we're at, we had an awesome evening. And we're, we're going back, and it was raining. And so we ran into the parking garage where we were at, and we, we hop into the elevator, and we're, we're on floor three, and we got to go up to floor five. And we're in there, and my son likes to do something when we get in elevators, and he calls dance party. And so we get in the elevator, and we just dance, right? And so, so he gets in there, and he's the first one in. He says, dance party! And so we start dancing in the elevator, right? I'm pushing the buttons. We're dancing in the elevator. And then all of a sudden, the elevator makes this noise I never heard before. It made one of these noises that went like, right? And, was, and then all of a sudden, it made another noise. It went, and so, and so the dance party came to an abrupt end, right? And he was like, hold up. And so I went to the panel, and I pushed it, and nothing worked. It's like, no, Jesus, this is like, you see this in the movies, right? It's like, this is bad. You know, so, so I was like, I was pushing the buttons and nothing was working. It's like, well, open the doors. And immediately my daughter starts getting worried. <laughs> and I was like, it's okay. It's all right, watch. It works. And it's, it's not working. He's like, Daddy, it's not working. And I had immediate flashbacks to the bridge. And I was like, I'm that guy. I'm my dad. Right? It's like, no, trust issues will not happen in my daughter's life, right? And so I say, it's okay. It's okay, baby. It's all right. Hey, look, I, I can only explain this so well. Look, I took video of it. I want y'all to see what happens. Look, j just watch this with me real quick. 
Hey, Caitlin, we are stuck in, in uh, one of these elevators over here in the, uh, in the Chevrolet garage. No, ma'am. Elevator one. I'm not getting any lights, nor like will any of the uh, door okay, um, buttons open. Are you on? Uh, we are. It's showing four three on the LED. So four three elevator one. All right, I'll have somebody over there. Okay, cool. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> so we're stuck for 40 minutes in the elevator. We are stuck. And so, and so we're trying to figure this thing out, right? And so they're getting worried. They're getting nervous. They're playing games with their fingers. Like, we're trying to get this thing. All the while, it's getting warmer and warmer in the elevator because there's no air conditioning in the elevator. And so, and so they're, they're getting worried. Dad, are we going to get out? Dad, are we going to get out? And I was like, I don't think so. And I was like, no, I think we're going to die right now. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm just beginning to tell them, hey, it's okay. I got it. I got it. Dad called for help. And I promise you, we're going to get out of here. I promise you, we're going to get out of here. And that began to bring calm to him. See, when you're in discussion with the Father, man, his voice can calm you. Not only that, I began to remind him, hey, kids, remember when we did this just a few minutes ago? Remember watching the guys do perfect? Wasn't that great? Yeah, Dad, it was awesome. I tell you, this is going to happen again, kids. We're going to see him again. There will be other things that we can talk about. There will be other blessings that we'll be able to talk about. I promise you, man, you had to remind yourself of what happened in the past. Because a lot of times we get in our situation, we forget about what God has walked us through. And we can only remember and focus on what exactly we're walking into right now. It's like, God, where are you at? You going to bail me out? Well, I've done it the, the last 30-something times. Why would I not keep getting you out, bro? Let's go. And when we're in discussion with the Father, we have that confidence knowing, hey, I got you, bro. It's okay. It's okay. Because why? Because he cares for you. After 40 minutes, I want to show you the rescue attempt. This is what happened after 40 minutes of us being in the elevator. Oh, what? Yes. Wow. Okay, we're going to help you yeah, down. Yeah, we're going to go down there. I don't know. I got the door. Uh, no, son, get out the way, buddy. You got it? I got yeah, the door. Okay. okay. All right. See, I've seen that in a movie, too, where the door comes slamming shut. It's like, no, get out the way, bro. Let them fix it. You are not going to die firstborn. And my first son is like, you ain't going nowhere, buddy. You carrying on the family name. Let's, we're making this thing happen. But we were able to get out 40 minutes in that elevator. 40 minutes. I called Myrna, and she was freaking out. I was like, oh, my God, what are you doing? And I was like, I didn't do anything. Your boy want to have a dance party, right? I was like, not me, not my fault. And the third thing is this right here. If we're going to cast our cares, you got to transfer ownership. You got to get rid of it. You got to let it go. I sold for the first time in my entire life. I've only had one house, and I sold it last year, and I transferred ownership of that thing. I no longer have any rights to it at all. I would catch myself driving home from work in autopilot, and I'd show up going to that neighborhood. I was like, I don't live here anymore. I show up in this house. They have the right to shoot me, right? And I was like, trying to open the door. You know, under Texas state law, you can be shot, right? So I was like, hey, I used to live here. Well, you don't live here anymore. Sometimes that's what happens to our problems. We, we, we want to we wanna turn them into rent houses instead of selling them outright. I still want to have access to it, but I want you to, to kind of take it and maintain it, but I still want access to it. And we got to transfer ownership of all our anxiety, all of our problems, all of our cares. you got to say, Lord, look, that's not mine to bear no more. Lord, that is yours. I give that to you. That's not mine any longer. 
we got to come in. we got to transfer ownership of those things. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, it reads like this. As you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Come on, we're to throw that old self off. Get rid of that thing. And say, God, look, man, that's the way I used to think. But I'm casting all of my cares. I'm throwing forcefully all of my anxieties on you. Because you care for me. You assign special attention to that thing. When I present it to you, you don't just brush it off to the side and say, that's no big deal. No, you bring that thing. You say, what concerns you concerns me. And I'm going to handle this thing. And as we begin to be in discussion with the Father, He begins to whisper in our ear, son and daughter, it's going to get better. I promise you. The, the, your latter days are going to be better than your former. Come on, it's going to be it's going to be good. It's going to be really, really good. I promise you. You just got to transfer ownership to that, to me. Rest in my care. Come on, just, just settle into my care. And when you do that, if you begin to transfer ownership over to me, that's not your problem to bear any longer. I got you, son. I got you, daughter. Why? Because I care for you. If you would stand across the sanctuary with us today. Hey everybody, wasn't that a great message? I know that as we speak, your life is being changed by the word of the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Take some time to think about it, consider it, pray and ask the Lord how you can apply it to your life today and this week. And maybe there's something that he's asking you to change or do differently in your life. So let's not let this be something that we just watch and then walk away like nothing happened. We're so grateful to be able to hear the word of the Lord. You weren't here in person today, but you're here with us online and that matters. And if you made a decision for Christ today, we wanna know, we wanna know how to come alongside you and how to support you and how we can best pray for you. So please, if you did make that decision for Christ today, text the word DECIDED to 469-606-2684. We can't wait to see you back next week, same time, same place, Share these posts with your friends. Share it on your social media. Blast it out there. Don't be greedy and keep it to yourself. We love you and we'll see you soon. God bless.